don't know if you ever if you have ever given much thought to that last phrase there that Christ will serve you. That you will be sitting at the table and he will serve you much like he served the disciples, washing their feet, caring for their needs. It's it's really quite remarkable to think that the God of the universe would stoop and to bend down and serve us and yet that is the kind of Savior that we have. And um, not that we are better than Him or, or He exists to serve us, but but it does say something about His love for us that He would be willing to, to do something like that. Let's uh, pray. We'll begin our study this morning. Lord, we are grateful for our Savior, thankful for how He has served us in the greatest way, which is stooping down, condescending, becoming like us, so that we could become like Him. And Lord, we don't deserve anything that we receive from You. All that we deserve is Your wrath. And yet, uh, You have covered that with the blood of Jesus on the cross. And we come today as believers who rejoice in that truth and live for that truth and look forward to the day when, when sin will finally be eradicated. Help us this hour as we reflect on our responsibility to share the gospel and to be proper ambassadors of you. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the past two weeks, we have been thinking through the gospel message and we've been looking at the concepts and doctrines and motivations and theology of evangelism. Three weeks ago, we looked at what the gospel is not or or what the gospel message is not. And Last week, we wanted to say, what is the message? And we, the last two weeks, we spent time doing that. And so we've, we've taken some time to kind of slow down and just focus in on that gospel message. And this week, um, we want to kind of turn a little bit more to the practical side. We want to uh, continue asking questions with regard to evangelism and thinking through what our attitude ought to be when it comes to evangelistic opportunities. And today we want to ask and hopefully answer questions like, how do we engage others in, in uh, evangelistic conversations? How should we act, think, and speak in evangelistic conversations? What are some practical applications we can take away uh, to make us more faithful followers of Christ? We want to answer those kinds of questions today. And so um, we, let's uh, think about that now. The challenge before us, practically sharing the gospel with the people, uh, with other people God puts in our lives, is certainly a challenge. It is not an easy task. Sometimes when we try to share the gospel with friends and family, it doesn't seem to go so well, and it can feel a lot like the the old Far Side cartoon um, that, that that used to come in the newspaper. There's a guy there, and he's pointing at his dog, and it says, "What we say to dogs," and he says. Okay, Ginger, I've had it. You stay out of the garbage. Understand, Ginger? Stay out of the garbage or else. And then it says what the dogs hear. Blah, blah, Ginger, blah, 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 Ginger, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so the point is the dog absolutely understands nothing except for its name. And that's the way it can be when it comes to the gospel, right? That that we understand the gospel. We understand what we're saying. And we say it to someone else, and it's it's just like different words. It's like it's like a different language. And that's because obviously 
Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot understand the truth of the gospel. They need the Spirit of God to enlighten them. And actually, the way that he enlightens them, amazingly, is through this message that they don't initially understand. God eventually turns the light on, and then all of what you're saying starts to make sense. And as they put the pieces of the puzzle together, that is the Spirit drawing them to himself. J.H. Burley once wrote, Besides the physical process of speech and hearing, there must be a spiritual process at work. In place of any Christian beliefs our hearers might have, there's now this, in our culture, this individualistic type mindset, this relativistic type mindset. Do you, anyone want to take a stab at what a relativistic culture is or a relativistic mindset is? Okay. Anyone want to add to that or modify? Okay, and you hear in that word relativistic, relative. It's relative to you. So that, that both of these guys are right. That it is, well, that's that's relative to what you would believe, but based on what I, the way that I see things, this is what I believe. And so when we come to them with a, a message that says, no, this is the message, this is the absolute truth, our kind of culture doesn't like that because there are, in their minds, no absolute truths, which is really ironic to, to even say that. Um, the creed in our day often is, believe what you like, but don't you dare tell me what to believe. Okay, you, you, That's fine for you to believe. I'm not going to have any problems with that. But don't tell me what I ought to believe. So how do we start with a culture like this? How do we engage a culture with, with the gospel? And I think we have to do it by asking questions. And Jesus did this very thing. If you look through the gospels and even through... Um, the epistles and the book of Acts and see what the Apostle Paul did, they're often asking questions of the people who who are ha- have all these barriers set up against the truth. And so we want to uh, look at the study today thinking about practical ideas of uh, studying evangelism in the context of friendships. So let's think through some questions first of all so that we can... Some questions that might help us start conversations with regard to the gospel. And to do that, I think it would be helpful for us to turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're going to read the story of the Samaritan woman. And as we read, think of things that that we can take away about how Jesus behaves and applies um, apply, applies the way that he understands to our uh, the 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 way that he works with her to our own lives. How can we apply that to our lives as we interact with the world? Now, obviously, Jesus is the perfect model for us in all things, and so don't take away from this. You know, well, he's perfect, and so of course he he knew things that, that we don't know and. And, you know, he knew about her family background and so on. So we can't really learn anything from him. Okay, That would actually be a bad way to look at things. That would be an improper view of of the Scripture. Jesus is our example. And when it comes to evangelism, uh, we ought to learn from him. We can look at the substance of his questions. We can think about what he's really getting at. We can think about how when when the Samaritan woman tries to take him off track and talk about something else, he brings her right back and he uses the question that she just asked 
to bring her back. And so we can think about those things and use those types of principles when we go to talk to other people about the gospel. All right, so so let's take a few minutes and read the text together and ask some basic questions about the te- the text so that we can be sure that we're understanding it, what it what it means, what it means uh, for us, how do we apply it, and um, and and what it looks like for our evangelism. So would someone begin reading in John chapter four and read down through verse fourteen. All right. Someone read. Someone else read verses fifteen to twenty. Someone else read verses 21 to 26. All right, someone finish up by reading verses 27 to 30.
All right. No, that's good. Thank you. All right. Let's uh, think back to that passage and and um, give me, give me an overall impression. What is the story about? If you had to summarize the story, just briefly, maybe in one sentence, how would you summarize it? Someone want to give a stab at that? Okay. Good. So you have a story of a woman with an empty life, right? She's coming at a time when, a time of the day when most people wouldn't be at the well. In fact, almost no one would be. They come during the cool of the day, in the morning or the evening, and she comes in the heat of the day, probably to avoid all of the um, pressure and probably she's probably unwanted and unwelcome at any other time. Uh, and so she lives an empty life. She has this empty water jar that Jesus uses as a good symbol of her life. And certainly we can see as the life of millions today, she filled it yesterday, but she's going to need to fill it again. And Jesus says, I've got something for you that is never ending, that will, that will uh, quench your, your thirst. All right, in verses 4 through 7, what does Christ do to start the conversation? Okay, he says, um, you know, he he comes to her. He he comes to a place that the Jews normally wouldn't be expected, as Bill was reading in verse nine. There, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. It was really um, out of character for a Jew to to come and and even be in Samaria, let alone uh, settle down there and get a drink there. And so he starts with really a a question or an appeal. Give me a drink. And then verses 10 through 15, um, how does he change the conversation? Verses 10 through 15. So she she says, how, how can you ask me for a drink in verse 9? And Jesus says, if you knew who, who gave it to you, um, then you would ask me for living water. What's going on there? What what is he doing? What is he trying to point her to? Okay. Anyone else want to be more specific? His word himself. Jared? Right. So what is it about water that that he uses to help point out her need? Okay, what what do we need water for? Right? Right. Yeah. And and that's really the point. We actually have a need with water. And he's saying, "Listen, I'm going to give you something that's going to satisfy a need that at this point she doesn't even know about." Eric Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is the type of thing that we can do when we're talking with other people. You know, they, they have needs that we are familiar with because we are like them. We are, we are human as well. And so we take these needs and we, we turn them to, to ask them spiritual questions. And this takes some skill and some practice, so, so get practicing. Um, 
but but everybody's been on a long hike hike and had an empty water and and um and and known what it's like to be thirsty right or or some other situation that where you've been thirsty so people know what that's like and yet then you come to a source of water that just is refreshing you know maybe you're on a long hike out in the middle of the wilderness and you come to a mountain stream or something um and Jesus is saying listen I know what it's like to to have that kind of need and I know that you need to understand what permanent need needs to be filled. All right, how about let's skip down to verses 16 and 18. What do you think Jesus is getting at there? Go and call your husband. He says, I have no husband. Okay, what is he trying to do there? How does that... Okay, so how, do, how does that play into what we talked about last week with the basics of the Gospel? Remember what the four things, what were the four kind of foundation stones of the gospel that we, 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 ought to, we ought to speak if we're going to be speaking the gospel? What was the first one? God, man, and his sin. Okay, so included in man, we see ourselves in a relationship to God. And then what's the next one? Okay, that's the fourth one. What's the third one? Christ. Okay, so, so here, Jesus is using this second one to, to try to point her to her her sin listen you need to recognize that that what you're doing is is a sin against god and he does it in a way that's really um surprisingly tactless you know you you have no husband and the man that you're living with now is not uh your husband um and that's because you know Sometimes we need to be blunt about the sin of other people. That's the one thing that's really hard to do because we don't want to, you know, it's not the best way to win friends and influence people, right? To talk to them about their sins. And uh, nobody feels comfortable talking about their sins. It's kind of like cancer, you know, or um, some kind of terminal illness that your doctors... Nobody feels comfortable sitting in those conversations with doctors, right? Um, but we have to have them if we're going to have life, if we're going to eradicate the thing that's killing us. And that's the sin that's within us. And so Jesus is just just blunt with, with her. And uh, so don't, don't feel ashamed about pointing people to their sin. Now, don't be cold and unfeeling about it either, like you worthless, wretched rebel. You know, again, I would think I would say to do it in the form of questions. Okay, ask them questions. What, what, do, what do you think God thinks about the way that you do this? Or have you ever done this kind of action? Okay, well, what does that tell you about yourself? Okay, how does that make you feel? What do you think God's going to say when He, when you stand before Him about that specific sin? Because the Bible calls that sin, and then. And then start leading them down that road, point, pointing them to the to the scriptures and to the gospel. Jared. Right. Yeah, but he, but he also didn't. And the other extreme is okay. And I agree. I don't think he was in your face. How dare you type thing? But but the other extreme is this. You know everybody's. Everybody sins. 
in some way. And, you know, we're, everybody's human. And, uh, I mean, I, I don't sin, but, but everybody else, it's just common among people. So don't, you know, don't, it's not that big of a deal. God will wipe that all away. So, so that's kind of the balance that we're trying to make between those two extremes. And I think that's important to point that out. Uh, it's a good observation, Jared, that we, we don't want to go to one far, one extreme and then the other. We want to be carefully, tactfully, or sometimes tactlessly, but, but pointing out their sin, helping them to see. Bill? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good, Eric. Yeah. Yeah. I I think probably what's more important than actually how you lead is what you include. So I I think the content is more important than the order. And the reason for that, I say that is because I can think of examples of where the apostle Paul actually does lead with the bad news. Um, you know, his his sermon on Mars Hill is, you know, there is a God and you are not serving him. You know, you you are serving an unknown God and you are basically condemned, and then the rest of the message is that there is hope. Um, and you know, as we talked about last week, one of the ways that we help people see the hope more clearly is as we show them the depth of their sin. You know, the, the, I, I appreciate God all the more when I understand my sin more clearly in His, because when I recognize how condemned I deserve to be. Um, then that that highlights God's grace. Paul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure it was a good one. Let us know when it comes back, Jared. Right. Right. I agree. Yes, what you're not going to find Jesus doing, but for us, we absolutely ought to do that. I, I I completely agree because when we stand in judgment, talking down to people um, about their sin, then it does come across many times the wrong way. And you know, frankly, um, you know, there are times when Paul does that, uh, where he says, "You have 
killed your fathers, talking about the prophets and things. Um, Jesus does that as well. So there, I don't think it's completely inappropriate if you if you were to do that. But I would say that um, because frankly the gospel is offensive. You know, uh, we can't get away from the offense of the gospel. Just don't make the offense you. Uh, that I think that's the point. Jonathan. Right, so common, yeah, common need between Jesus and she. They both need water, but what she needs is the living water. And if you'd ask me for that, then I'd give it to you, Jared. Yeah, the the temptation or the mentality that I've often had is I got to get this out. I got got to get it out. Then I can say I've given them the gospel. But but really, the gospel isn't effective if they haven't. Well, I shouldn't say it that way because the gospel, if it's given, that's our responsibility. It's faith faithfulness. Um, but what I was going to say is is it's much more helpful for the gospel if the person actually is receiving it and the best way to receive is have a dialogue rather than a monologue um and i would say that in the in the context of conversations now god obviously has designed a monologue situation for the preaching of the gospel and there, there's no conversation there it's just one person speaking on behalf of god and the other person just um listening so um but but i think in relationships that is the way and you, that's that's a good observation here from John chapter 4 because that's what Jesus does. He he engages them in a conversation and he lets them respond and sometimes that is the best way for them to think about to actually express what they think. Sometimes people just have all these thoughts that they've thought but they haven't really formed into words and when they actually come out of their mouth, I don't know if you ever had this com- this uh, experience, but when you're talking to somebody about the gospel and and then you ask them questions, lead them down a path and you ask them questions and they actually say something that they have always been thinking but never really expressed, then they say, yeah, that does sound a little odd. Why do I think that? You know, why, why would I think that it's okay for me to, to do all these sins and not be held accountable to them before God? And, and that requires a conversation. You can't just necessarily point all those out and then expect that they'll, they'll receive it. So I think conversation... Is important, Mike. Oh, I was just thinking in the same lines that, uh, like in here, he of course he asked for you about her right away. Mm-hmm. We don't, but it does remind us that we do need to. I mean, certainly they say when you're preaching or when you're Jesus, anything it's different. But when you get to know somebody, you know something about them before he knew about her. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it also notices that there's uh, there's no name here. 
it doesn't name the woman. Mm-hmm. So it, it gives us a guideline as a general for yeah. anybody. Yeah, good. All right, verses 19 to 26, who does Jesus claim to be? And where do you see that? Okay, where do you see that in the text? Okay, good. So she she says, I know that Messiah is coming, verse 25, when that one comes, then he will declare. He's kind of going to settle it, this dispute that we have between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Jews say that they should work, worship in Jerusalem. We say Mount Gerizim. And when the Messiah comes, he's going to make it clear. And Jesus says, verse 26, I who speak to you am he. So he is claiming his uh, godness there, his identity with God, I am. And that is the answer to to the, the spiritual needs of every person, that they need to know that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the promised one. And that's the... Um, the relationship that they need to have. Verses 27 to 30, what is her response? How does she respond? Okay, verse 28. Um, she left her water pot and went into the city and began telling people about the Christ. And um, I think there's a record later on that, that many people came to Christ as a result of her. Is that verse 39? From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things that I have done. So many people came to Christ as a result of her her response. Um, so what we find here is that the steps to to evangelistic conversations is is actually kind of simple to think about, difficult to to put into practice, but simple to think about. And that is, help the person to understand their need. Help them to to realize that they have this great sin problem and that they need a Savior. And then declare to them that Jesus is the Savior and that they must respond. Um, All right. Any other questions or comments on that passage before we, we look at the rest? Yes, Sandra. Yes. Yes. Um, right. Yeah, I would. I, that's the way I would understand it. Um, there's no clear text that says, you know, that she believed. But verse 41 seems to imply it for sure. Many more believed uh, because of his word. So it seems like not only the city, but it seems like she believed because of his word that she's actually passing on. What she, what she knows and has has responded to. So the natural response to a a converted person is to go and tell that you're suggesting. Yeah. Okay. Yes, Bill. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. All right, the rest of the class we want to draw from Max Stiles' book, um, study the principles that he draws out from the study at the wo- of the woman at the well. And we want to think about three points to guide our conversation. Divine appointments and normal Christian discipleship, humility, and then crossing barriers. So first, divine appointments and normal Christian uh, discipleship. Uh we could define a divine appointment as an evangelistic opportunity that God seems to bring to you without any or much work on your part. Okay, so let me give you an example. About four years ago, I think it was, uh, an Iranian man, college student at Wayne State, uh, named Amir, pulled up to the driveway of our church on a Wednesday night and was just sitting there. And Clayton went up to him and asked him if he wanted to come inside and he did, and several of our members met him, and we had an opportunity to talk with him and share the gospel with him. He came for several weeks and made a profession of faith and was baptized, and he joined our church. Well, after a while, his parents moved into his apartment there in Royal Oak, and they were dead set against him uh, becoming a Christian, and so he he couldn't continue in his mind uh, following Christ in in that way, which was such a stark contrast and so opposed to what he had, the way that he had been raised. Um, I don't know what has become of Amir. I've tried to contact him multiple times and I pray for him often and think about him and and hope that the Lord is still working on him. Um, But the point of that story is that his coming to our church was a divine appointment, right? No one called him up. No one invited him. No one uh, met him prior to his arrival. He just showed up at our church. And that that is something that God brought about without any or much work on our part. And um, so a couple things that we can say about divine appointments. First is that we should be prepared for them. That, that if we're not prepared for them, then we're just going to quickly ignore the opportunity to share the gospel. We need to be equipped, motivated, and available. That's what we talked about several weeks ago. We need to be equipped. That's what we're working on now, just kind of reminding ourselves about some principles with regard to the gospel. We need to be motivated. We want to do this. We want people to come to Christ. We want more worshipers of God. And then we need to be available. That's that's really this one here, the divine appointment. Available. That that you know, that's nice that God you brought this opportunity for me to share the gospel, but I just don't have time or I don't want to take time. I, I have other things going on. And I'm not going to take the time to to share the gospel. It's going to be too involved. It's going to require too much work on my part. The second thing I would say about divine appointments is that we should pray for them. We should ask the Lord to bring people into our lives who desperately want to know the answers to eternal questions. And then when those divine appointments come, we won't be so so surprised or put off by them, I think. Um, Recognize that divine appointments are not the norm. Okay. Thirdly, recognize that the divine appointments are not the norm. They are great and wonderful when God brings opportunities to us, and we should thank God for that. But if that's all we're depending on is for God to bring about 
unplanned, in our minds, unplanned opportunities, then I don't think we're doing our responsibility to make disciples. We need to, we need to go. As we are going, we need to make disciples. That's the command in Matthew chapter 28. And so I think it's something that we ought to do as Christians. We're commanded to do. And um, if we're just waiting around for God to bring about unexpected opportunities, we may be waiting for a long time. So instead of waiting, okay, we should be looking for daily opportunities to share the gospel with people we know or have contact with. All right, next, humility. Humility, and we've talked about this throughout, but let me just make a couple observations. Here's how Jonathan Edwards defined humility. It is a habit of mind and heart corresponding to our comparative unworthiness and vileness before God. So it's a habit of mind and heart corresponding to our comparative unworthiness and vileness before God. A habit of mind and heart corresponding to our comparative unworthiness and vileness before God. He goes on to say that humility is an excellence proper to all created intelligent beings for they are all infinitely little and mean before God or small before God. And most of them are in some way small and low in comparison with some of their fellow creatures. So he says, we all ought to be humble before the Almighty God because we are infinitesimally, infinitesimately that's, I don't know what the word is. I'm a, we are a lot smaller than God. That's the point. Okay? And in many cases, we are so much smaller than other creatures. We should be humble. It should, should be something that we do. Um, so don't think of humility as a strength. Humility, or I'm sorry, as, as a weakness. That's the way our culture sees humility. You know, if you're going to be strong in our culture, you need to have a voice. You need to, um, you need to be brash and, and rude and arrogant in some cases and get people, you know, uh, strength in our culture is often defined based on, or, uh, yeah, defined based on the number of people that follows a person. But in the scriptures, uh, strength is seen as the number of people that you serve. Uh, that's why Jesus was strong. That's why Jesus was uh, so powerful. He he served he served so many people. He still does. Um, humility is not a weakness. Jesus was a humble man, and he was not weak in any way. Instead, he radiated power. He calmed storms. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. And yet, he was willing to stoop down and and uh, serve others. Humility is not easy. Certainly, we um, don't need to belabor this point, but but our culture is all about pride and individualism. And yet, the Bible is a relational book, a book about serving, not self-serving. It's about serving others, being committed to other people and willing to, to do things on their behalf. Humility is not overbearing. Uh, we should avoid false and controlling methods that trick people into making a commitment. Um, like the, the salesperson that comes to your door and starts out with a conversation like they're, they're your best friends and they know everything, they want to find out everything about you and, and hey, they've got these common interests and next thing you know, so, so, so we can make this deal today. I mean, we need to make this deal today, right? And that's the, sometimes the way that we do evangelism. I think that's a, unhelpful and often manipulative way to do evangelism. Like we're forcing the person into a decision. Okay, you didn't come to Christ because someone forced you into the decision. And no one else will either. It has to be a work of the Spirit. They do. 
using their rational minds to think through the concepts of the Scripture. And so, don't be overbearing. That's not humility. Um, all right. Let's continue moving on here so we can uh, get through all the material. Crossing barriers. Think back for a moment here to John chapter 4. Um, what types of barriers did Jesus cross? Okay. He has a cultural barrier because he's talking to a Samaritan. Right? Jews don't do that. That's what verse 9 says. That's not normal. So he's crossing that kind of, of, of racial barrier. What other kind of barriers? Any others? Okay, religious. Yeah, a gender barrier, right? I mean, in that day, it was inappropriate by that culture standard for, for a man to speak to a woman like that. And, and yet he does. The problem with social barriers uh, is that they make us uncomfortable so that not only do we avoid dealing with people with different cultures than us, we, we just avoid people who are not like us. So our culture barriers actually get smaller and smaller. Okay, so we got these big racial barriers out here. We're not dealing with them. And then we got some other barriers that bring us in and farther and farther. And the next thing you know, we're, we got our little holy huddle and we don't want to deal with anybody else because, hey, we might get stained by them. And yet, you don't see Jesus doing that. He, he's talking to, to um, you know, he's talking to the sinful woman who's an uh, immoral, adulteress. Um, we have Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners, the, the, the scum of the day. And, um, Ken? Hmm. Yeah. Good. Again, it's not the monologue approach in the relationship evangelism. It's it's a conversational approach. Good. And um, so if we think about it, Jesus crossed barriers in order to talk to people, in order to meet them with with the need that they had and, and actually provide a solution. And if you think about it, Jesus crossed some barriers to get the gospel to us as well. Right? And just thinking generally on mankind, what kind of barriers did Jesus cross in order to come to us? Right. So He's coming. He was eternally spirit as God the Son. Okay? Eternity past, that is. And then and then He comes into to, uh, our, into our world and becomes a man. And we are nothing like Him. Right? I mean, we are sinners. And, and yet, He's willing to come cross those barriers in order for us to have a relationship with God. And so, why would we not be willing to, just in a minimal way, cross some barriers? We're not, we're not even gro- crossing the kind of barriers that Jesus did in order to get the gospel to us. So, what, what can we do to do that, to cross these barriers? Um, I would say, get interested, get genuinely interested in people's lives. Okay, get to know them. They are people like you in many ways. They may have a lot of differences, but that's what we tend to focus on. Focus on the things that that um, that are similar, and find out about the things that are different. Ask questions, and that's one of the best ways to cross social and cultural hurdles. Is just investigate their lives, not interrogate, but investigate. Just people love when you're genuinely interested in them, and they can tell. 
Find out about their passions and needs. You know, what kind of fears and pains and sorrows do they have? It's, it's about a relationship. And then make a transition to spiritual issues. Get good at what Jesus did, right? He takes the, the thing that every human has, which is a thirst, and he, he brings it over to the spiritual realm and helps her to see her need. So, so use some of these illustrations, and maybe it's going to require, maybe not in a single conversation, but maybe over a period of time, you're developing a relationship and you start to think, you know, that the way that they talked about this thing that happens in their home country is is very similar to to uh, the gospel. Maybe next time they bring it up, I'm going to try to ask them a question about that. We want to display um, God's glory. We want to see more worshipers come to Him. And uh, so we need to cross barriers. So how do we engage our world? Our goal is... Uh, this class was to walk away with a better sense of how to ask questions. And so let me conclude with a few points of application quickly. First, listen. Okay, One of the best ways to engage the culture is to listen to them. Uh, two-way conversations. We've come up several times in this class. And then secondly, um, use your gospel conversations. Uh, use your conversations to, to turn them to the gospel. Okay, use your conversations to turn them to the gospel. You know, one of the things we just need to be clear about is they can't come to Christ without an understanding of the gospel. So they, there has to be an explanation of the gospel at some point if you're going to do evangelism. You can talk about politics, you can talk about all sorts of things that are going on in the world, but you haven't done evangelism until you've done evangelism, until you've actually proclaimed the, new, the good news. That's what evangelism means. And then thirdly, trust in God. Okay, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. No one can come to the Father unless they are born of the water and of the Spirit. They have to be born of the Spirit. That, that just means that they have to have spiritual life. They need Spirit. So depend on Him because He's the only one that's going to bring real life. Alright, let's pray and ask for God's help. Lord, we pray that You would bring about some unexpected opportunities even this week and that we would take advantage of the relationships that we already have so that you would receive more glory. In Jesus' name, amen.